continuing our sermon series called Life at the Boiling Point. We're using the image of water when it's heated to 212 degrees Fahrenheit. goes through a change, a phase change, and it changes from liquid to a gas. And we're saying that when our spiritual lives warm up and get heated, that we also experience a change that happens deep within. And one of the ways that God raises our temperatures is these things called disciplines, these, these actions that he's called us to do. And as we do them, even imperfectly, his grace works in us and changes us. So we've talked about hospitality, generosity, gratitude, and last week we talked about the Sabbath. These all shape us. And today we're talking about another discipline that raises our spiritual temperature. Today we're talking about the discipline of evangelism. And you might say, well, that doesn't raise my temperature. That gives me a fever. Okay? I don't want to talk about it. I, I get it. Many people suffer from early onset evangelitis. I've, you know, we, we've all been there before. Some of us have, have got the contagion from someone else, and some of us have been carriers of evangelitis. Uh, but let me just jump in and talk about how we understand and how we misunderstand evangelism. When I say the word evangelism, you have this picture in your head that's, that consists of all your past experiences. Maybe some trainings that you've gone to or trainings that were practiced on you. And so when you, and our brains love shortcuts and so they create these mental models. And so when you hear the word evangelism, this image pops up into your head and you say, everything that I know about evangelism is all there is to know about the topic of evangelism. But I think it's very helpful. I think it's very helpful for us to, to remember that evangelism is much more than a method that we've ever been exposed to before. But it's no wonder that some of our methods lead to evangelize us. Uh, there's the confrontational approach. Right? In which the opening move is a roundhouse kick to the head. Where you try to convince the person they're a lying, adulterous, coveting, parent-hating idolater. And God is out to get them. On the positive side, I think these people, they take seriously the problem with sin and how it can rip us apart from our true selves and from those we love, from our society, even from God. And I would say that actually, they probably take seriously the grace of God also. But that method is the nuclear option, right? And it turns people off. They can't hear the goodness of the news because grace often whispers and judgment thunders. And if you're always talking in thunderous tones, it's really hard to hear the grace. It really is. And not everyone needs to be beaten down and convinced that the way that their life is going needs to change. Some people just know this and are looking for it. And so if the nuclear option is your only option, well then you leave a lot of casualties. Another method, which I've been guilty of, is the rushed decision model. You've got to make a decision right now as I'm standing on your doorstep. You want to get the point, you want to get the person to the point of conversion as quickly as possible, mainly because your mission trip ends soon. Right? somewhere at the end of summer and you may not see them again and so the tension is real and it puts pressure on a then and their kind of decision and honestly some people will just pray a prayer out of your peer pressure 
And so what good does that do? I mean, it's okay to, to sense the urgency of the situation. But if this is your only option, then it really doesn't help people process their questions or their hesitations or their, their heart issues. And it can, can give that person the impression, if I don't make a decision now, then the decision I make now, therefore, is the label that I must live with for the rest of my life. And so others have reacted to these two kind of methods with a more passive relational model. You want to build a relationship, a rapport with the person before you talk about spiritual things. And this message, uh, this method is more thoughtful and considered than the nuclear option. But I have found that you can, if this is your only approach, then you can put off talking about God until a more convenient time. And then the more convenient time just never arrives. And if this is your only option, then the natural opportunities that are presented to you in your life, at the store, at the park, at the beach, at your work, you miss those. And I think that because we have shrunken down evangelism to the methods that we've been exposed to, um, then I think that because we think that evangelism is a method, that therefore we must get specialized training in order to be able to do it. And look, I used to think that as well. If I could just, <laughs> this is so silly. Uh, you know, if I could just memorize a few verses, a few quotes from C.S. Lewis, sprinkle in some pop culture from The Matrix or the TV show Lost, say something pretty edgy, you know, Bono or something like that, then, then I would seal the deal that this would be like, like the thing that if I just felt confident enough, I would do it. And look, I commend anyone who wants to educate themselves on the objections to Christianity. I think that it's good for Christians to think about the objections people have because I think that it can sharpen our own thinking. But if you wait until you feel confident or until you have the perfect amount of training, I just don't know if we'll ever get around to it. And that is why a spirit, evangelism is a spiritual discipline. Oftentimes we say, well, that person is obviously gifted in evangelism and I don't have the gift, so therefore I should not be held accountable for what I don't do. Right? But some of you are really good at hospitality, so does that mean that other people shouldn't be hospitable? No, of course not. Some of you are really, like, your prayer life, it's, it's, it's not easy, but it just kind of comes a little bit more naturally to you. And some people, I believe, do have a spiritual knack for prayer. But does that mean that the rest of you can't or shouldn't pray? It's the same thing with evangelism. Some people are gifted. Some people could talk to somebody at Target and then have them in church a few days later. That's not me. Unless it's me talking to my kids, you know, at Target. You know, it's just, you know, I don't have that gift, but that's why it's a spiritual discipline. It's a discipline that you're called to embrace. Not so that you would get some kind of whatever you think a result is, but so that God can meet you there in your imperfection. Your job is not to get some kind of result. Your job is to talk. Evangelism is much more than methods. Methods are helpful. But evangelism, which means good news, 
is much broader, much better, much more deep than we ever imagined. So, I'm not come here to give you a method, because methods are always shaped by the temperament of those who craft them. But I just maybe want to point to, the, to what I think is closer, at least, to the heart of evangelism. And it's this. Evangelism is acting on the opportunities given to you. The opportunities in your life to talk about the love that you have received from God, even as you're seeking to understand it. That's what I think evangelism is. It's taking the opportunities given to you to speak to someone about the love of God that you have experienced, even as you're seeking to understand it. Opportunities. Sometimes that means being active, pursuing it in a relationship with a stranger, with a neighbor, whatever it happens to be. And sometimes opportunities just naturally present themselves. It's an opening. It's a, it's a chat in the break room. The love of God that you experience. I don't mean your own subjective like feelings, like the endorphins go out your brain and like God is wonderful, all of that. I'm not talking about like that kind of experience. But when you come face to face with scripture or prayer or worship or you're reading something and these thoughts are triggered and, and you start exploring like your ideas about Jesus and faith and Christianity and all of that, it's, it's just those things that you experience. It's not just like your feelings. And then it's that you're growing in your understanding of it. You don't have it all figured out. So therefore you're humble when you engage with others. And you're learning as you go and you're learning as you do. So Acts chapter 1 says this. Post-resurrection, Jesus says to his disciples, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. And so sometimes we think, alright, so first, first of all, I've got to receive supernatural power. And, and so we think, well, that means that all of a sudden I'm going to do like that, that lightning bolt kind of feeling. Like, all right, now I am now equipped, right? Like this, this thing has happened. And now is the time. And so we, we let all of these natural opportunities pass because we just don't have a certain kind of feeling. The word power is ability. When... If you're a Christian, Scripture says that you have the enduring presence of God, the Holy Spirit, in your life. When that happens, He will give you the ability to talk about what has happened. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive the ability to talk about it when you come face to face with God's enduring presence. I will give you the ability to talk. Doesn't mean that it's not going to be scary, doesn't mean that you're not going to like. All that adrenaline is going to go out of your, of your system and you're going to feel weak and tired afterward. It just means that he will give you the ability to speak even under harrowing circumstances. And sometimes even in natural ones. So, And I see all of these ideas in this text. Thank you, Steve, for reading such a long passage today. Uh, so what I'm going to do and, and what I'm going to talk about, I'm only putting it through a filter of evangelism. So what I'm talking about today is really not the only thing that there is to say about this passage of Scripture. But I believe that this man's story is very, very compelling and can instruct us as we think about evangelism. Talking about the love of God that we've experienced, even as we're seeking to understand it. So, in our text, we see that 
a man is, is born blind. He's blind from birth. And the disciples wrongly assume that personal suffering is always tied to personal sin. And Jesus counters that and says, in, in the instance of this man, nobody did anything wrong. But in this individual's case, God is going to do some wonderful, powerful things. And in the Gospel of John, there are, there, there are these themes of darkness and light. In the opening verse, John refer in the opening verses, John refers to Jesus saying, "The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it." Nicodemus comes at night seeking to enlighten himself, and Jesus is present. In verse 5, Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. And the blind beggar experiences a kind of darkness, one kind of darkness. He's blind. But even in the darkness, Jesus heals him out of his own kindness. This man experiences the love of God in a very special way. So Jesus makes mud, puts it on the guy's eyes, and tells him to go to the pool and wash. And the guy's probably like, oh, I was going to wash. <laughs> okay, I was, I was going to wash. So the man goes and he washes. He has to be led there because he's blind. And then he walks back, seeing. And now he's walking back from Siloam. <clears throat> and the people perk up. Isn't that the guy I just gave money to because he told me he was blind? Or, you can't be him. No, really, I'm, I'm him. But, so you're the blind guy. Well, yes, no, hmm, kind of. It's kind of complicated. It's kind of complicated. Yes, but no. But you can see. Yeah, yeah, I can see. So what happened? This man named Jesus, I have no idea what he looks like, by the way, he put mud on my eyes, told me to wash. I washed, and now here I am looking at you. I was blind. Now I see. And this is remarkable. But in this passage, we're also introduced to another kind of darkness. It's a darkness that will not let the light of the world in. The Pharisees, the one who knew the most, saw the least. They knew Jesus. They've been face to face with Jesus. They heard him teach, but they do not like Jesus. They are set against him. Even as they see evidence of a miracle, even as they hear the testimony of a changed life, darkness. And Jesus calls this kind of darkness blindness. The blind man was in the dark. The beggar's former physical condition speaks to the internal condition of the Pharisees. He was blind, now he sees. They see but they're blind. So the people who are startled and stirred by this man's ability to see take him to the Pharisees, you know, because he hasn't suffered enough already. So the Pharisees, they've already made up their mind. They've got their own mental model of God. And what they know is all there is to know. There's no need for any other kind of input. All they know is this, is that Jesus is bad news, not good news. Case closed, verdict reached, next in line. And so... They bring the man's mom and dad before him. And according to verse 22, the Pharisees had kind of gone around this section of town saying, look, you're either, we rule the roost, and either you're for us or against us, and if you start following Jesus and believe in him, then don't plan on coming to church this weekend. And so, the parents don't want to be marginalized. 
Pharisees went nuclear. Make a decision right now. And at what cost? Think about it. They forced the decision so the parents skirt the issue of their side of the story. They skirt the issue of their belief or disbelief or just kind of like, I don't know. So they say, our son is an adult, you ask him. So the blind man has experienced this wonder-working love of God, but his knowledge is not complete. So he says to the Pharisees, now look guys, whether Jesus is a rebel or a sinner or whatever else, I'll leave that to somebody else. Look, all I know is this, that I was in deep darkness and he met me there. And now I see. And you keep bringing up Jesus and asking what I believe and why I believe it. So I assume that that means that you want to become a disciple. I just think he's a very clever guy. And they say, no, 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 no. We don't really see much of a need for Jesus at all. Well, fine. This is all I know. This is my side of the story. And it's kind of odd. Granted, I believe it. I get it. Obviously, you guys know a lot more, but here I am, after all, sharing my side of the story about a person I've never met. But there it is. So they threw him out. Jesus was still in town. Jesus heard about his unfriendly booting from the synagogue, and so Jesus tracks the guy down. And Jesus' first recorded words are, Do you believe in the Son of Man? But it seems to me that they would have talked a little bit before that question. A little bit of context. So in my mind, I see Jesus talking with the guy. The guy doesn't even know who Jesus is, by the way. He hasn't seen him yet. So Jesus says, how's it going? Good and bad. Well, what's the good? Well, I woke up blind. Well, I mean, I've been blind forever, but now I see. <laughs> Can't wait to hear the story. That's amazing. What's bad? I got kicked out of the synagogue by the Pharisees. What did you do? What did you say? Oh, I just told them that what happened, that I think that God's behind it all. And I told the truth. They just couldn't see what I was saying. So that stuff that you said, that God and the Messiah, you believe that? Like you believe in the Son of Man? Well, you believe that God is sending Messiah to fix all this mess? Well, look, you've, you've fixed my eyes. And a God who can fix eyes can fix anything that he wants. And it was Jesus who did this to me. <laughs> and I, he's around here somewhere. I've never seen him face to face. I would really like to see him face to face. So just, just point, point him out. Point him out. So look, here's a man testifying in a variety of ways about a person he has never met. He has this strange encounter with Jesus in which he obeys and he goes and he washes. He fields questions from onlookers and neighbors. He has to explain his situation to his parents. He then has to stand in front of a court and have his testimony challenged, even his blindness challenged. He, he, even as he's hurt, even as he is confused, even as he is still figuring out the details, he simply takes the opportunities given to him to share about the love of God that he has received. Even as he doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't play it safe. He just talks about it openly. The true state of his life. And people make up their own decisions, but it seems like this man does not begrudge them of their decision. This is what happened. This is what I believe. You'll have to make up your own mind. 
That's what I see in this passage. And I think that it can instruct us in how we even think about talking about our life with God. So let me talk about a few corrections, maybe, to, to our evangelism. Not your evangelism, somebody else's. Verse 37 says, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Now this is one of the most beautiful sections in all of Scripture. Because the man sees with his eyes what he has believed with his heart. It's very beautiful. Faith has turned to sight. Prayer has turned to praise, like we just sang. Not only does this man, though, practice evangelism, just talking about the good news of God that has come to him, he is a beneficiary of evangelism. I want to talk about that. In kind of our modern understanding of evangelism, sometimes we can think verse 35 is evangelism. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe in the Son of Man? And we start out with this very large question with very little context. But I want to point out that, that this man has been the recipient of evangelism all of his life. As we see here, his parents took him to the synagogue where he learned the Scripture. Even as an adult, they take him, because he's probably still under their care, they take him to synagogue. Then the people at synagogue would have educated him, would have prayed for him, would have prayed with him, would have been able to hear his questions, give him some answers. And his family and his faith community give him the language and the ideas that would be the building block for his future faith. They evangelized him through the course of his life giving him more of a vocabulary, more of an understanding. And Jesus uses this kind of religious shorthand, this religious slang, son of man, which refers to the Messiah. But the only reason that the man understands the religious slang word is because someone took the opportunity to talk to him about the hope of the coming Messiah. That has been explained to him over and over and over again in the course of his life. And it wasn't just this one-off at a gas station kind of conversation where the stuff is just thrown at him. But it's people who have lived with him, who, has, who have loved him, who have heard his pushback and his questions. And now, as a deeper revelation of Jesus comes to him, because of all that work that has been done in all of his life, he is now able to say, that is a man worth worshiping. So evangelism is, is not this one-off thing. It is a lifelong thing. And over time, each block is laid on top of the other. And it gave this man eyes to see and ears to hear. Often we can put so much focus on kind of a decision, here and now kind of approach to evangelism, that, that we actually kind of forget about the evangelism that always takes place. And it's just the process. It's the ordinary talking about God. Right now, the worship service is evangelizing. It is giving out good news. It is helping us to explain and to experience the love of God. The assurance of pardon, so glad that we do this, is a declaration of the good news. It is an explanation of God's love for us and what He has done for us through Jesus Christ. The benediction is good news that God cares for us and our world. Discipleship class is not just about discipleship. It is, if I can just totally butcher the English language, it is good newsing you. It is 
always, always talking to you, helping you understand your experience. Community groups, that's evangelism. In all of these instances, all we're simply doing is telling about the grace and love that we have received, even as we're growing in our understanding of it. You don't have to have it all figured out to belong here or to do it. If you are a Christian, you are most likely a product of many years of evangelism. I was evangelized by my grandmother. And the only reason that I could eventually say, yes, I want to follow Jesus Christ for the rest of my life, is because of those conversations that at times I thought were ridiculous and boring. But it gave me the building blocks, even small ones, that I would need to eventually believe. If you're a Christian, you're a product of many years of evangelism. And one way or the other, you were in a type of darkness about God's love for you. And then someone talked to you about it. About the gospel of Jesus or the grace of God. And over time, a crack emerged. A crack emerged in you. And through that tiny crack, whatever it was, VBS, youth camp, um, university, student, student ministry, a crack began. And through that crack, the light of the world started to shine. Then later, a youth pastor, a youth worker, a friend, a co-worker, a family member, a book, perhaps a song, it shed more light on the situation and so the crack got wider. And the more light that came in, the more of God's love you could see. And as the light of the world shined in your heart, you could see your own questions, your own hesitations, the reasons that you have for not believing, the reasons that you have for why you want to believe. And that's because the light of the world was shining on you. It's because of all of these people around you in your life have been little flashlights and floodlights shining the love of God on you. And then you were eventually, through the influence of many, many people, you came to a place where you could voluntarily say, Oh, I see. But it doesn't take that. It is a process over a period of a person's life. That's why I'm so happy that Paul says it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. That it's him giving us time and space to figure it out, to ask questions and to come. Look, evangelism is not a talk you have. It is your talk. It is your ordinary talking about the love of God that you've experienced, the questions that you have, the conclusions that you've come to, and then simply taking the opportunities in your life. Look, beautiful thing about being willing to be an instrument for good in the hands of God in this world is that you have no idea how a word here or a word there will change the trajectory of a person. For some of us, our words, our prayer, our kindness, our service, will nudge someone. For others, we'll be able to come alongside of them and travel quite a ways with them in their spiritual journey. For others of us, we'll have the wonderful privilege, like a friend of mine says, to place the hand of the person in the hand of Jesus. But your job is not to truncate evangelism down to only one of those. 
that it would be all of that. And it wouldn't just be a talk that you give, but it would become your conversation. Evangelism is so much more than methods. Look, Jesus says something very startling in verse 39. For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. <clears throat> and often we hear the word judgment, and we think that God is pointing His finger down at us, condemning us. But in this passage, it's more of a sense of revelation. The judgment of God through Jesus Christ is that the truth of our hearts would be laid open under His light. That the truth would be revealed. Jesus says that He has come to expose our internal reality. Our internal disposition. Sometimes we think of evangelism as us versus them. I just want to say it's, it's us and God. Because no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you can have a disposition that's against God. Or you can have a heart that's turned away from God. And you need the good news explained to you once again. You need to sing it. You need to pray it. You need to worship. Evangelism is not an us-them. It is God's communication to us about His great, deep, wide, welcoming arms. And I need that all the days of my life. And look, here's the truth. And I'll close. Either we realize our own deep blindness to the love of God and our need of it, or we believe we see, and there's nothing else to see. Jesus said the Pharisees believe they see, but really they're in darkness. So what's the truth of your situation? Is there room for the light of God to shine on every part of your life? Jesus comes to expose the truth. Not to condemn, but to expose it. And at the same time, shine a flashlight on you and a floodlight on the face of God. And to say, this is the reality of your situation. But I know, I know a Father who loves you. That's what it is, friends. Jesus Christ is the light of God that is shining on you today. He shines on the gracious face of God so that we could see that we're forgiven, reconciled, and adopted. And the amazing thing about evangelism is He just simply wants you to talk about it. Just talk about it and to share it. So by faith, by faith, come to the pool. Wash yourself in the river of blessing. And go talk about it. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, there's so much more to say, but I, I feel like all of us are this blind man. Um, many of us many of us need to get up and to go wash. Others of us, where we are, we need to just simply tell and let people make their decision, not begrudge them of it, but just simply tell. I think in a way that we all long to see you face to face, that our faith would turn to sight.
And I pray that even as we don't see you, that we would worship you. And that through our interaction with Scripture and the worship service and the sacraments and your ongoing dialogue with us, that we would see your face. That it would shine brighter than all of our sin. And that you would heal our broken hearts. That you would help us to be honest. And that we would take you up on the offer to come confidently to the throne of grace. Not the throne of judgment, the throne of grace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. We ask this in His name. Amen.